Hello and welcome back to Delta Drinks Milk here on the Boink Radio Podcast. <laughs> Don't remind me of how I have to suffer every week. <laughs> it's good to be back. Today is August 6th. We've got some usual news for you, and I don't think we sorted out a topic, did we? <laughs> uh, I think I can pull one together, don't worry about that. <laughs> All right, great. We're going to be talking about some crazy Delta stuff, I'm sure. Uh, Delta Bucks, or something. <laughs> <laughs> that said, uh, are you still in lockdown this week? Jeringer, I am coming oh, straight no. to you from day oh, no. 56 of our <laughs> SNAP 14-day lockdown. And we have had the highest case number come out in the last 24 hours of a total of, I think, 590, uh, sorry, not five, 290-something. It's still not that high to me. Like, well, in per all of Australia? Basis, no, just in New South Wales. In all of Australia, oh, okay, it's okay. only around 300 if you count everything in Australia. Oh, so New South Wales is just getting hit kind of hard. Yep, and lockdown's not exactly working because we're 56 days in and we have almost 300 cases per day when we started out with around 30 cases per day. Wow, I mean, it's a new variant, man. It's a, it's a thing. Uh, or it could be the tightness of the lockdown. Yeah, but hey, it just means you really got to... I imagine you're making your own beverages at this point close uh I, i've been stashing a whole bunch of beverages so i think i've got like pretty much a year's or almost a year's worth of beverages if, if you go week by week um and uh last night i did make a tonic to go with some of my non-alcoholic stuff so hopefully you might see that pop up during some of the boink radios later on when i start getting into my non-alcoholic beverages Ooh, can't wait for day 112 of your 14 day snap yeah, I have a friend lockdown. who went through more than 100 days of lockdown, so we're going to see if I can surpass that. <laughs> and then he he owes me something. <laughs> wow, that's brutal. Huh. All right, well, what do you have today? Today, uh, just to remind people, um, two weeks ago, because uh, we did have a little break, uh, I brought in some Taiwanese banana milk. So this is the authentic banana milk. All right, but now... I have the authentic Taiwanese mango milk. That sounds better, actually. It's, it's actually worse. Ah, <laughs> It tastes a lot worse. The banana works a lot better with milk than mango, because mango is a bit too much citrusy, because uh, ma- mango is just slightly citrus. It's not as citrus as orange, but it is, it's got a little bit of citrus, and citrus really just doesn't work with milk. Not many things do work with milk, and you're really stretching here. So I, I commend this you. The, this is the stretch. This is the last milk-based uh, <laughs> beverage I think I have in my little box back there. Uh, all right. So where's it rank? Uh, probably somewhere towards the bottom. I'm pretty sure this is a type of soy milk. Um, so it's terrible, but it's not as terrible as the other soy milk I've had because the mango really masks the taste, and they actually put sugar in it this time. So uh, the soy milk's not that bad. The mango part of it is sort of terrible. It ranks close to the bottom, but not. Uh, it ranks above my non-alcoholic and no-sugar ale. I'll tell you that. So it's just ale? It's just hops and water? Uh, I, I spent $14 <laughs> buying six bottles of water. <laughs> you poor man. Uh. Yeah. 
Oh, wonderful. I've got a news update for you. My printer's broken. <laughs> this is my life, man. It's my life now. Broken printers, Australian buddies in lockdown, drinking $14 water. <laughs> and mango milk. And mango milk. Dogs chewing on door frames. I'm I'm just gonna go on vacation, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolute nah, chaos. I couldn't do that. There's too much cool boink stuff to talk about. Hell yeah, we got a lot of news. We do. You wanna kick it off? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh we got uh some information from SETI at home. So for those of you that uh don't know, SETI at home has sort of been temporarily suspended and we hope that they're coming back sometime soon and what they're doing is they're going through all the results they got from the study at home project and occasionally they release little diaries so usually these diaries are highly complex and they're really aimed towards people who understand their physics and understand radio frequency interference i can tell you that in this latest diary entry there is no et so we haven't found aliens um, however, they did find some interesting thing. Uh, they found a multiplet uh, whose time factor was way too high, apparently. Is this suspicious? Not really. <laughs> um, it's uh, got something to do with the calculation that they made and um, just some of the assumptions that they made when observing the multiplets. So uh, they figured out sort of why, and it is quite mathematical, so I'm not going to go into it. Um, and there is some stuff in here that I actually don't understand, so I'm, I'm not going to go into why that it wasn't suspicious, but if you'd like to, you can come in and read it here. Um, and so, as a result, they've just said that they're modifying um, some of their calculations on their part so that they can prevent that issue in the future. Um, so, yeah, they literally got a 13-second spike, and that was quite weird to them. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, they got a 13-second spike that occurred in a one-second observation, which is kind of weird. Um, I think that has something to do with the time shifting because of um, relative speeds and whatnot. Maybe it's uh, aliens but... that figured out how to mess with time. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, that's uh, what Steady at Home's up to. So if you want to read a bit more into the weird 13-second spikes, um, it's up there for you. All right, I will... Hold on, I'm fixing my printer. Ah! Oh, you know when you drop an ink cartridge in, like, the most difficult place in the room to reach? Uh. <laughs> you know when you're fixing your printer during a live podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. There we go. Okay. All right, I've got news. I guess it's big news. I'll start with this one. We have a new Android client coming... Well, already out. 7.18.1 is the new version of the Boink Android client. Thanks to Vitaly, Tal Regev, and Sira Senevaratan. <laughs> I apologize. I cannot pronounce that last name. Uh, but those three are the ones who largely worked on this release. Uh, you can get it from the Boink website, boink.berkeley.edu. Uh, go ahead and get it done. That's pretty cool. I mean, you had Tal on a couple weeks ago to talk about Android development, yeah? Yeah, and hopefully um, you got around to editing that one. <laughs> All right, editing. <laughs> <laughs> These are going to be uploaded horribly out of order. It's going to be a lot of fun. But oh, my God. It's worth it. Don't worry. 
because my printer doesn't work still. All right. Um, into some news from MLC at home. And uh, we've got a big weekly summary as usual. Uh, a lot of the time was spent uh, trying to get Windows to work, uh, the new Windows client to work, and to also get much of the um, libraries and everything to become statically linked for the Windows executable, which makes it a whole lot easier. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, there wasn't much progress with that. Uh, and unfortunately, they had to go back to dynamic linking. Uh, Dataset uh, 4, the progress is up on the website. However, there are no uh, Dataset 4 work units being sent out just yet. Um, we do have some uh, GPU tasks in the queue for DS1 and DS2, I think. And just give me a sec to quickly read some of the points. Yeah, that's all the same. All right. Um, and they're excited to announce that they have a new developer on their team. I wonder who it is. <laughs> um, who is yes, it? It's me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm working on MLC at home, and uh, I'll let you guys know later on in this uh, radio once we get to the main to the main show uh, on what I've been doing. But yes, I am working with MLC at home now. And uh, my first task was, as they put it, uh, they're working on issue number two and uh, gracefully handling all of the uh, null results that are being sent back by a very small amount of the work units that turn into errors so that we can get, hopefully, 0% errors on work units. That's cool. Congratulations to both of you. <laughs> yep, and uh, that is... Uh, Oh, and the progress for MLC at home, um, there is quite a lot of progress. Uh, um, almost everything's been filled out. There's only a little bit left for the parity machines in data sets one and data sets two. Uh, we've completed uh, all the milestones for data set three, and the, data, the progress for data set four is up. So um, all of that is zero, uh, and we're just waiting for the work units to come out on that one. Nice. I fixed my printer, <laughs> sort of. Cool. That is, uh, that is. I'm glad MLC at Home has some help getting their work done. Yep. Free unpaid university students. That's the life. <laughs> hey, someone's got to be an unpaid worker. <laughs> yeah, otherwise the capitalist economy doesn't flow, right? Exactly. All right. I've got... Two news items coming out of World Community Grid. The first one coming from Mapping Cancer Markers. Uh, they are working on sarcoma markers at this point. They have finished running data on lung cancer and ovarian cancer markers and are working on those sarcoma work units. They still have a whole bunch to get completed. Uh, these are uh, essentially data points coming from healthy and cancerous patient tissue samples and they're just exploring them looking if to see if they can't find any similarities or anything that stands out uh among the data set so it's actually similar to seti except with cancer markers right they're looking for aliens in cells and if they find an alien it might be a cancer marker is this a stretch or is this working i think it's a bit of a stretch <laughs> oh all right I mean, where's the radio frequency interference in the cells? Well, that's where the metaphor comes in, mate. Ah, whatever. 
stretch or no stretch, they have a bunch of work they need done. So jump on the project if you're not crunching it already, mapping cancer markers in World Community Grid. Uh, if you want to figure out how to set up your sub-projects within these large umbrella projects, Delta just did a great walkthrough in one of the previous episodes that I haven't uploaded yet. So take a look at that one. It'll be labeled something obvious. <laughs> the other World Community Grid news is coming out of Open Pandemics. Uh, they have figured out their own workflow and learned more about their tools during the spring stress test. Uh, they have uh, figured out exactly what they're analyzing with the help of the donated computing power. And they have more details on the ongoing lab testing of compounds that have potential treatments for COVID-19. Um, they're also possibly, or they're also looking forward to possible uh, compounds to test in a second round of testing. Uh, and they'll share further details if and when this happens. They still have 3,3600 batches ready for download. Uh, so go ahead and jump on Open Pandemics CPU and GPU now, right? I believe so, yeah. Cool, 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 cool. That's all the news I have for the entire day. Okay, well, I have some short ones. So uh, coming from Athena, uh, they have performed a server migration on the 3rd of August, so not too long ago from the, this recording at least <laughs> um and uh they have moved their boink server temporarily so they have a virtual um, they have a virtual server and they've migrated it just temporarily and they will be moving it to a um a server with um i don't think that's ten thousand discs i think for for those who know the specifics of it because i've never worked with server hardware um, they're going to be moved to some faster um, SAS 10K disks. So I don't think they're actually moving to a server with 10,000 disks in it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they're moving... Oh yeah, 10,000 RPM. Okay, there we go. So they're moving to a server with some really fast hard drives so that they can handle all their data. And uh, you should expect future shutdowns uh, coming from Athena. Uh, as they do those migrations. And then finally, from SR Base, the. Uh, I'm actually not sure how to comprehend this. <laughs> um, do not ask me. Yeah, so starting from the 70. Okay, so SR Base uh, has released a little announcement regarding its GPU work units. In the 70 to 71 bit range, which is, um, I think that's 23.6 to 24.9 million range, the runtime on an RX 5500 XT is approximately 26 minutes. Uh, and that is nearly half of the current running range of time that it takes to complete one of their work units. And uh, they're dumping some of these new 70 to 71-bit tests in into the work unit pool, so you might see them coming out to your computers. More work is always welcome, eh? Definitely. All right, well, I think that is all the news then. Okay, uh, so in terms of what I had for the uh, main um, topic, um, I had a sort of cool one. So uh, because I'm working on MLC, I've, I've kind of understood how working it works so i was gonna like go through the 
um, a day in the life of a work unit. <laughs> Ooh, do it. All right, but first I want to talk about uh, what's going on with the development. So I'll just start. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Go for it. Take control. So uh, I mentioned earlier that I am doing some development for MLC at home. And uh, I'm uh, the reason why I'm doing it is because at university, I'm pretty sure I've told you guys before that I do have an advanced component of my university degree, which means that I have to do extracurricular stuff here and there. And so for this semester, because I'm in a very well-extended lockdown and probably will be for the rest of the year, or at least for the next three months, um, I have decided to do some remote volunteer work. And I've got the all clear from my um, advisor to go ahead and help out with the MLC at Home project because every single week we get a... A little piece of project news that says that they're crying out for software developers. So uh, I'm here to provide the tissues to clean up the tears. Uh, and, now uh, that's also, a metaphor. And also, I'm here to bring the mop to clean up the code. Oh, because there's a lot of code that needs to be cleaned up. <laughs> and uh, so the first uh, the first task that um, I had, even before I started programming, was actually getting the thing to compile. And uh, the MLC at home uh, app itself isn't that big, so it doesn't take that long to compile. But the thing that is big is other dependencies. So um, I think uh, one time I tried to get it running on one of my laptops, it decided to compile absolutely everything, including the GPU app. And um, it took about five hours. <laughs> um, and then when I finally got it to work, um, it took a good hour or two to get it compiled on my little laptop that could with a lovely little i3 uh, 7th gen, I think. So it tried its best to do its job uh, and it got there in the end. And so once I've managed to get this thing compiling, along with its 11 gigabytes of dependencies, <laughs> um, I started development work. And the first job for me was to fix uh, some invalid value errors when the models are trained. So when you run a MLC at home work unit, uh, you'll be training a you'll be training a uh, you'll be training a neural network. And uh, sometimes when you do the training, and on very rare occasion, you'll get what's called not a number, which is a very specific piece of data or type of data in pro in a programming language is different in a different programming language but basically it means it's some sort of floating point so it's some sort of decimal that couldn't be represented either it's infinity or the result of zero divided by zero or it's something that just can't be represented or even an imaginary number so um, those errors were popping up on very small occasions in the mlc at home work units, and I was tasked with uh, figuring out how to go back to the previous model and then um, continue working on whatever was working on. So I've done that, and that's currently um, in the examination and testing phase, and then I just have to clean up some weird code stuff that happened with my editor. And then um, you should see that, uh, for those of you that happen to get an miraculous error with uh, one of the MLC at home work units. Hopefully that'll get fixed in the future because uh, as I understand, it is quite a rare issue. And uh, yeah, hopefully um, my fix worked. 
That's really cool. How hard was it for you to just sort of dive in and start doing it? Besides the compiling stuff. Um, well, the hardest part was sort of figuring out how the libraries worked. Uh, so with a lot of these projects, I have to use some really out there libraries that um, you need to have sort of like specific experience with this sort of stuff. So like if you have specific experience with machine learning and stuff like that, you'll understand how PyTorch works. You'll understand how tensors work. You'll understand all those crazy stuff. But for me, coming from computer science, which is a broad field, although I do have experience with artificial intelligence through my actual course, um, I don't have direct experience in programming them. So uh, probably I'd say about half the time was spent staring at the documentation and seeing what does what and how I could best go about the solution. Uh, and then the rest of the time was just uh, basically programming it. The, the code for uh, MLC at home is quite, it's quite, um, it's quite simple and it's quite constrained. It's not a massive, huge project. So it was quite easy to make my way around all the documents, but uh, for some other projects, it might be a lot bigger. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, I, I, I do have to say it was quite easy getting into this first issue. That is pretty neat. And it's just an open issue on GitHub. Yep. Issue number two, if you guys want to take a look at it. Hmm. Did you know that one stick of butter is eight tablespoons? No, but I can tell you all about the day in the life of a Boink work unit. <laughs> Ooh, yes. More interesting. Please do. <laughs> okay. So because I've been working on MLC at home, I've understood sort of how the work unit works and the dynamics of the internals of a work unit. So uh, for those of you that know Boink on a really technical level, um, you'll know that uh, tasks that you receive on your computer will get checkpointed and um, tasks will show progress and tasks will do all these fun things such as detecting when they're ready, when they're done, suspending, resuming, and all that. And uh, from going through the code, I've actually sort of understood exactly how a task works now. So uh, it, uh, I know that there are going to be people out there who have programming experience but have never programmed a Boink work unit. Uh, and it'd be interesting to know that when you actually suspend a task, it actually essentially kills the process and then re-executes it. So you have to program the program in such a way that it can detect whether it's come in from a checkpoint or is starting fresh. So that's an interesting thing. But starting from the day in the life of a, of a, uh, of a work unit, we start off at the uh, we start off at the server, at the Boink server. All right, we have a work unit generator that generates the work unit. And so this could mean uh, simply changing the input parameters of the work unit, or it could mean um, changing the data that goes with the work unit. Uh, or it could mean uh, just simply packaging a different app to go out with the work unit. And uh, then that is stored on the server in a queue, waiting for someone to pick it up. And then when finally someone's Boink client says, hey, I need some more work, that work unit will get sent out to that client. So the work unit will contain either the um, arguments for the program, or it'll contain the data uh, or the different data to crunch. And uh, that'll get sent straight out to that Boink client and it'll get stored on their client until uh, it is ready to be crunched. And then when it's stored on the client, it'll have its own little 
disk space so that it can write files to and read stuff from and checkpoint if it needs to. And uh, as it runs, the program just gets executed. It runs as it would be if you were to just pretty much double click it on your on your desktop um, with a little bit extra technical stuff here and there, and then it'll keep running. And uh, the, the task will have to record the amount of percentage that it's done. And we'll have to do that calculation. There are specific uh, files and whatnot in order to signify how much percent it's, uh, if it's completed. Let's say uh, the work unit is suspended for whatever reason, it will just get killed. So whatever was running would just completely get stopped, cut it off where it is, and just kick it out of processing. And then when you resume it, uh, it'll basically run the program straight from the top again, just as if you were you clicked on it. And so when the uh, when the work unit starts back up, it'll check to see if it has a checkpoint. And as you know, in the Boink uh, in the Boink manager, you can set tasks checkpoint at least at a, at a specific time. And those checkpoints store the state of the program so that it can come back and continue crunching where it left off. You might lose a little bit of progress. But hey, that's fine. It's better than losing all your progress. And uh, you'd be interested to know that in the MLC at home uh, code for their work units, uh, each checkpoint happens uh, after one epoch. So every time you've trained a particular epoch, it'll save the state. And uh, after a work unit is finished, or what signifies a work unit is finished, is when it exits with a particular code. So all programs in no matter what system, whether it's Windows, Mac, or Linux, always have to exit with a code. And uh, if that code is zero, it's all fine. Nothing, nothing bad happened. But if it's not zero, then an error occurred. And uh, so if uh, the program finishes with an error code of zero, then the Boink unit is flagged successful and it's sent back to the server. Otherwise, um, it's got a bad return code and hence produces an error. And that's sent back to the Boink server as an error. In the case of MLC at home, and uh, ML, uh, uh, MLC at home admin just clarified me on this one. Um, the actual problem that I solved was when your work unit for MLC at home actually does the epochs, when it uh, gets a not a number, or a null value in the in the training, it'll continually spit that out until it finishes the work unit. And then it sends that work unit and its results back to the server, and it fails to validate simply because it spat out so many not a numbers. So even though the work unit completed successfully, it didn't validate correctly on the Boink server side. And so that brings us to validation. Uh, when the work unit gets back to the server, the server will check to see that it is, in fact, a valid result, or if it was a successful result. So this could be um, anything from checking the actual results to see if they make sense, uh, or it just simply could be checking that your work unit and someone else's work unit uh, completed and got the exact same result. So um, after that validation is complete, then it goes through a bunch of technical processes. I think a simulation is one of them. Um, and then uh, the project results are stored. And then I believe there's also a deleter involved. So the work units will get deleted after some time once the results have been stored in the database and managed and everything like that. So that is the day in the life of a Boink work unit. A lot going on with that poor little war. 
work unit. Did they ever get time to relax? <laughs> well, I mean, they they come into existence and then get deleted straight after. So you could think of them as the um, what should we call it? It's from Rick and Morty. <laughs> the me seeks. Yeah, the me seeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan of that one. So in order for the me seeks to be satisfied, they need to produce some sort of error code, whether it's good or bad. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Well, cool. I've got nothing to add, really. Do we have a rig of the week? Um, I don't know. It looks like we have a challenge. <laughs> What's the challenge? Uh, someone has in the we got the uh, Boink Riggs channel, and uh, someone's posted an attempting image of uh, a Raspberry Pi with a uh, <laughs> with a um, non-standard uh, CPU cooler on top of it. So it's got like one of those really, really big heatsink CPU coolers that you'd chuck in your computer, but uh, it's been shrunk down to fit on uh, the Raspberry Pi, and it's got an RGB fan on it. So we have a challenge to build that rig by the looks of it. Look, I'm just trying to figure out how to get my GPU fans to spin just I think baseline. I'm going to need to buy a new GPU. Well, if not spinning. I just replaced the fans themselves. Uh, and I think that they still don't spin. I think the header on the board is broken. Even so, when you put the GPU under load? I don't know how to do that. What do I do? Just run some Boink GPU working on Oh, yeah. No, I, I uh, manually turn on the speed. Uh, right. So I think just the header, just it's an old card. To the... I'll tell you what you can do. What you can do is just remove all of the fans, get a normal PC case fan, and just like stick it to it. Get some zip ties to tie that fan to the GPU, and then just connect that fan to the header on your motherboard. I was actually going to try that. I was hoping <laughs> I would be able to use the new fans I just bought, though, in some way. <laughs> yeah, I well, uh, yeah, because I I did that with my one, except I just attached it straight to the GPU, because uh, my GTX 970 has been through. I think almost five to seven years of uh, operation. And uh, yeah, it lost pretty much all of its fans. So I had to replace it with one big case, uh, PC case fan. Yeah, I think I can do it. I think I'm going to do hey, it. That's what they're built for. Case fans? The fans aren't built for it. The, the fans aren't built for it. The chip is. Ah, yeah. So once I get that up, then maybe I'll consider making a, a Raspberry Pi with a sink. <laughs> Uh, I'd really like to see someone make that. That'd be really cool. And they can just run a whole bunch of uh, uh, ARM work units on it, and we can hear the RGB fan go crazy. Do Raspberry Pis overheat with Boink? Uh, I wouldn't say they overheat, because the Raspberry Pi does a very good job at throttling the CPU. Mm. Uh, but yeah, if if you are running Boink on a Raspberry Pi without a heatsink, it's likely that you'll reach, I think, about 80 to 90 degrees Celsius, and then it'll start um, not being happy with you and it will start throttling the CPU and probably make all your work units go a bit slower. Interesting. All right, well, I guess that counts as egg is, er, egg is the week. Egg of the week. I'm making banana bread. <laughs> I'm about to add eggs. Uh, rig of the week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> egg of the week it is then. All right, shall we end it there? I guess we'll end it there. <laughs>